and welcome to Sign of the Crime. This is Remy Ramirez. This is Q McGrath. What up, Q McGrath? What up, girl? You know, day after Valentine's Day. Ugh, living the dream. <laughs> Still in my jammies. <laughs> Honestly, okay. Sorry, but are you ready to get real for a minute? I don't. I like the lead up to Valentine's Day is so hard for me. I'm so. It's a terrible because it's I mean, I guess this is how a lot of people feel about Christmas. You know, I I just love Christmas because I'll always find something to do. But Valentine's Day is so specifically like if you're not in love and have and 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 don't have a partner this day is not for you bitch and all this stuff about like galentines give me a break no one actually that's like a desperate attempt to divert attention from the fact that you're fucking single and i've been single for so long how about virgentines thank you thank you byu for introducing (laughs) virgentines instead of valentines because i'm practically a virgin at this point reverginated at least BYU likes me. <laughs> <laughs> Those bitches aren't even virgins because they do that shit called soaking. Soaking. Uh-huh. Okay. For the longest time, I couldn't remember what it was called and I kept calling it wagging. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not called wagging. Although that's hilarious because now I'm imagining them in the position with like their butts just going back and forth. But I think technically that's fucking. At that point, you're just straight up fucking. <laughs> It's just so gross because it makes me think of like a a dog's tongue that's just like <laughs> it's the wrong end of a dog, but okay. I think for me it's just like the whole idea of soaking is just like this is the worst. <laughs> if you don't know what soaking is, I'm about to tell you because honestly, the- why don't you just let Google do that for them? I think that that's a rough thing to tell people. <laughs> oh, okay, you're right. It's a rough thing. But man, look that shit up cuz it is hysterical. It's hysterical because it's fucking like, I'm sorry, but it's fucking if you're penetrating, that's a fuck like, sorry, that's part of your body count now. Katana, don't you understand? It's just that someone's hard, erect penis (laughs) got misdirected into a sopping wet vagina and then their friend moved their bed around. <laughs> That's the best part of soaking is the fucking third person involved who's like, <laughs> are you not laughing hysterically if you are a part of this? Like, how do oh you not? God. Because they're so sad. They're so and how do you ask someone to do that? Here's what's going to happen. <laughs> Toddwick is going to get on top of me. <laughs> With just his pants down, we're not going to go full naked because you're going to be there. That would be weird, right? Nothing else I'm about to ask you is weird, but that would be strange. <laughs> because They can do it because then what did you call him? Podwick? Toddwick. Okay, because then Toddwick is like, cool, my turn next week. That's, <laughs> that's how it works, right? Like, I, I, I scratch your back, you soak my peen, you know? My, I had a... I had a very devout Mormon friend and I had a conversation with them about this years ago about soaking and she laughed and she was like, Oh yeah, that shit's hilarious. That's why I just do anal. And I'm like, no, (laughs) no. Okay. Uh, It's all, I don't think that that counts. I don't think that that's what you think it is, but okay. But like, she like didn't miss a beat, didn't hesitate for a second. And I was like, "I, I don't, okay. I don't, I don't think there are any loopholes here, bitch. <laughs> I don't think that God takes loopholes. If this is really what you believe. Also, fucking newsflash, 
God doesn't give a fuck. God doesn't give a flying There's ass. There's so much going on in the world, whether or not you are soaking or God just fucking care. or doing anal. Like God doesn't it, care. It's just really also like God's disappointed in you for so many other reasons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, God hates you, but it's not for that. <laughs> it's not because of that. <laughs> oh man, no. I mean, we love the Marmos. And no, they they vote Republican, so we actually don't love. But we do love. Like sometimes I have a lot of so really nice. good Mormon friends, yeah, and it's, they're, it's like salt to the earth, salt to the earth. I have some really good Mormon friends, and it's really interesting because um, some of them I'll talk to, and a lot of times I will find, and I don't know if I am the variable in this equation, but I will have Mormon friends that will eventually become ex Mormon friends. <laughs> Maybe it's my influence, or maybe it's just because if you're a Mormon who's going to be friends with me, you're definitely on the out trade. <laughs> oh, see, I thought you meant that they stopped being your friend. And I was like, oh, is that because you were yourself around them? And then they were like, <laughs> well, the thing is that I can only be myself. You know that about me. I have yeah. absolutely no other personality. This is it. This is the one. This is yeah. what you're getting. I don't care who you are. I don't care how rich or famous you are. This is it. Uh, I also don't care how religious you are. I'm going to ask you about this shit. But anyway. Like I said, I have a lot of now ex-Mormon friends uh, who once were full Mormies. At, um, Mormos, excuse you, Mormos. Oh, is it Mormos? I don't want to be offensive. I prefer Mormos. I like Mormies. I think it's cute, although it does sound Wormies. I guess that, okay, Mormos, I'll go with Mormos. Um, and they, most of them that I have met have been, like, they're very concerned about people. They're very concerned about society. You know, they had like, they don't, I mean, there's like the rest of us going like, we don't know how to fix this shit, but you know, they have those concerns and like the ones that are holding them back, you know, the, like the sexual hangups and the caffeine, which I just laugh at because I think that's hilarious. And you know, those, the conservative things like they, I, I've noticed that as they, as they go from their twenties to their thirties, that's when they become, they slowly go from like, I'm a Mormon to like, I was raised Mormon to like, my parents are Mormon. <laughs> like, I haven't seen my parents in 10 years. I don't know what the fuck. I used to be Mormon. It's very confusing. I don't know what's happening. I joined a Wiccan coven last week. We'll see what happens. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of that. But I mean, even when they were when they were identifying as Mormon, I have found them to be very kind people. And it's the, I feel the same way about a lot of people in the Midwest, because there are a lot of very racist you know, I have seen a lot of racism. I've seen a lot of sexism. I've seen a lot of elitism in groups out here. One on one, I have seen people who would literally rip the shirt off their back and give it to you if they thought they were cold. This is a place where if I, I once I got a flat tire, no less than four in like the middle of fucking nowhere, you know, I just called AAA. No less than four people I did not know stopped to help me. But would they stop if you had been black? I don't know. I mean, they couldn't tell who I was because I was down like I was because <laughs> I was me being like, I bet I could do this. <laughs> I, bet I, could, I bet I could change. I've never done it. <laughs> I was like, how hard could a jack be? Turns out it's harder than you think. But they didn't know what I look like because I'm just I'm crouching down by my car, attempting to get myself killed, trying to change a tire that I've never done before. One on one, I have never found people that are more concerned about community. I I will say that. I will say that. I completely understand what you're talking about because I feel that in Texas, people have been so kind to me in Texas sometimes, although it's Austin. So it's not the, it's not the same thing as Texas. I was going to say it's the blueberry and the, they call it Austin blueberry in the tomato soup. Wow. I don't want to eat that soup. That sounds so gross. Not even a little bit, but what they're saying is it's a blue dot and a whole bunch of red. <laughs> totally. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Well, should we talk about Casey Anthony? I was going to say, you want to get to it? If you didn't know, we're doing Casey Anthony, and I'm going to go ahead and let you know it's a two-parter because it's Casey Anthony. Um, I tr- We got a lot to say. By we, I mean you. I'm going to sit here. <laughs> Remy loves these. Remy just grabs her snacks and is like, talk to y'all in a month. Um, okay. So July 15th, 2008, a distraught Cindy Anthony calls 911 to report her missing granddaughter, who she said she had not seen for 31 days. In this frantic phone call with an extremely confused 911 operator, Cindy details what's a pretty insane story. She reveals that her daughter, Casey, has been evading questions about Casey's whereabouts for weeks. I mean, I'm sorry, for Kaylee, Kaylee's whereabouts for weeks and that Casey herself. Okay, so Casey is the mom. Kaylee is the daughter. Yeah. Okay. And that uh, Casey herself has not been staying at the family home for over a month but that she had during that time had access to a car, a family car that apparently had been recently abandoned near a financial business in Orlando, because this is happening in Florida. Of course it is. Uh, that had been towed to a local wreckage yard. Cindy and her husband, Casey's father, George had been alerted to the presence of the car and had driven down to retrieve it. Ostensibly very confused and very concerned about their daughter and their granddaughter. The car did not make them feel any better because, according to both parents, the car smelled, quote, like a dead body had been inside it. Cindy told the operator that Casey had given several different and honestly pretty unreasonable explanations as to Kaylee's whereabouts before finally admitting to her that she had not seen Kaylee for 31 days. The operator is stunned and she asked to speak to Casey and Casey gets on the phone really begrudgingly, by the way, if you you can listen to this phone call. And I can tell you right now that I would have wanted to reach the phone and smack the shit out of Casey because I was like, she it doesn't it doesn't sound good. So she tells the authorities that Kaylee, she thinks Kaylee has been kidnapped by her nanny on June 9th and that she'd been trying to find her ever since that time and that she had been too frightened to alert the authorities. So Okay, so an investigation starts. Police bring Casey and her parents to get statements. from. They bring them in to get statements from everybody. And Casey basically tells everybody that she dropped Kaylee off with her regular nanny, Zenaida Gonzalez, on June 9th. And when she returned to pick her up, both Kaylee and Zenaida, or Zanny, as she calls her, had disappeared. Casey's parents uh, repeat the same story, saying that that's what they had been told by their daughter. Uh, And they include the part about their daughter's car smelling very much like a dead body, which, for the record, makes me question a little bit how they know what a dead body smells like. But it turns out that really wasn't the situation anyway, because when they popped the trunk uh, and everyone was very much afraid they were going to find a dead body, it turns out it was not a decomposing body, but a bag of rotting trash that Casey had left with the car for weeks so she just she left the car somewhere and it got towed yeah with a bag of rotting trash in the back of the car why would anyone put trash in a car i'm about to tell you some things and that's the least of the more interesting things i'm about to tell you i can't believe i'm telling you this story for the first time it's amazing to me okay so like i said gross Great relief to Cindy and George because it's not their granddaughter's body. But the relief is temporary because Casey's story does not become more coherent as time goes on. When questioned, Casey repeats again and again that Kaylee had been kidnapped by Zenaida Gonzalez, whom she identified as Zanny, Kaylee's nanny. Although Casey had talked about her, Zanny had never been seen by Casey's family or friends. And that is because, in fact, she does not exist. There is no nanny. But Casey's not going to admit that for three more years. But I'm telling you now, she's not 
She's not a real nanny. She is a real person who will eventually sue Casey for defamation for bringing her name into this. God damn it. Can you imagine someone's just like, Quintana Ramirez uh, stole my child. And you're just like, oh, you're like, I don't, I don't even know you. <laughs> the thing is, like the thing about Casey Anthony um, is that everything she tells you has a little bit of truth in it. Like that all, and she's going to tell a an insane amount of lies and she will eventually acknowledge all of this. Um, but everything she tells you has a little bit of truth in it, which is what all the best liars do. So Casey tells police that she was working at Universal Studios, um, which is a lie that she'd been telling her parents for quite a while. She hadn't worked there for more than a year. Investigators know that Casey's lying about the job, but rather than call her on it, they take Casey to Universal Studios on July 16th, 2008, the day after Kaylee's reported missing, and they ask her to show them her office. So Casey, they expect her to like at that point be like, hey, actually, no, um, but she doesn't. So Casey leads detectives around the building for around 25 minutes uh, before she stops, smiled, and she admits that she has no office there because she had been fired the year before. So she's arrested because it turns out that lying to the police while your three-year-old is missing is a real bad look. Also, and it's also illegal. <laughs> I just like when you were like, when you said that she worked at where was it? Universal Studios? Yeah. I just imagine like that she wore a chipmunk costume. And... <laughs> no, she was like an office worker. I was like, what office? So she put out, not she, Hulu put out a documentary with her. I think it's called uh, Casey Anthony, Where the Truth Lies. This relatively, maybe early, 23, early 2023 or late 2022, fairly recently. And they have interviews with her and they have interviews with the police. And one of the police officers said that like they're walking her through the office and she's like smiling and waving at people. And they're like, the fuck? And like smiling and waving at her, but very clearly don't know who she is. Oh my God. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was, she had a lot of hoods, I'll give her that. So Casey's arrested July 26, 2008, and she's charged the following day with giving false statements to law enforcement, child neglect, and obstruction of criminal investigation because the cops are not fucking around here. So the judge denies bail, saying Casey had shown a woeful disregard for the welfare of her child, which honestly felt fair given the apparent circumstances. On July 22nd, after a bond hearing, the judge sets bail at $500,000, and that had a lot to do with the massive public outcry against the mother um, about, I mean, you know, it's a child murder case, which is how the story is being reported, that they think this child is missing and that the mother killed her. That's how it's being reported. There's no evidence of that yet, but that is how it's being reported. On August 21st, 2008, after one month of incarceration, incarceration, she's released from the Orange County Jail after her $500,000 bond was posted by the nephew of a California bail bondsman named Leonard Padilla in hopes that she'd cooperate and Kaylee would be found. That's how fucking famous this case was. A month later, some dude puts up a shit ton of money. I think you have to put up 10%. So that would be $50,000 in the hopes that once she gets out, she will either lead them to Kaylee's body or to Kaylee. Wow. So it's a lot of coverage. Like I said, can't believe you haven't heard of this case. Uh, but before she's let out, her parents go on TV and they announce that they didn't know what involvement Casey had with the disappearance of their granddaughter, which was not what Casey wanted them to do. And she told them that in a prison phone call that was recorded and then released to the media. 
because you have zero expectation of privacy while you're in prison. And that recording, which you can also listen to, like everything else in this fucking case, uh, you can listen to that. That recording is something else. And it looked real bad because as far as we all knew, Casey believes that her three-year-old has been kidnapped and is missing. And her major beef is with her parents not giving her enough support through her traumatic arrest and not her missing child. That's what it sounds like on the tape. She's like, she says something like, um, she's like, oh, yeah, I heard your little television appearance today. You don't know what my involvement is literally says that and her mom is like well i don't know and she's like oh you got your 15 minutes honestly like if you listen to this shit it sounds really bad Mm -hmm. but the thing is and you don't have an expectation of privacy in prison but they don't usually release those phone calls i can't remember another case i honestly can't remember any other case but definitely not another recent one where they're releasing phone calls from the prison can't think of one also, that's in her chart, though, by the way. That she's bratty when she's under pressure? That she's narcissistic. Well, she came by it honestly enough. Wait till we get there. So it's worth noting that children go missing every day. And more often than any of us would like to admit, it turns out that a parent is involved in their kidnapping or murder. We all know that. And while those stories do get reported, there's no escaping that this story was put under a fucking microscope and it became impossible to escape for everyone except apparently you. Um, And we could talk about why, but I think most of you can guess that it has a lot to do with a pretty young white female suspect who seemingly behaved in an untoward way following the disappearance of her beautiful white uh, almost three-year-old daughter. You know, it's the shit that media salivates over and salivate they did all the way to the bank. And I mean that literally. The Casey Anthony case made a lot of people a lot of money, including media commentators like Nancy Grace, who went well out of her way to crucify Casey Anthony in a public forum to the tune of millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. These commentators also had a lot to do with public sentiment turning sharply against Casey Anthony in a profound and pretty sinister way before we had all or really any of the facts in the disappearance of Kaylee. It's important to remember that the Casey Anthony case happened between 2008 and 2011, before Me Too, before like the uprising of Gen Z, before a national conversation was begun about how our social access revolves around disrespecting women and femininity, as well as the trauma that is intrinsic to this patriarchal approach. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's just call it like it is. So everything about the Casey Anthony case needs to be understood as coming through an entirely different lens than the one we have now, whether or not you believe she is guilty. So I'm just putting that on the table. Okay. So we have all that happening. And then tragedy on August 11th, 12th and 13th, 2008. Meter reader Roy Cronk called police about a suspicious, a suspicious object that he found in a woody area near the Anthony residence. The first time he called, he was directed by the sheriff's office to call the tip line, which he did to no avail, no callback. Second time he called, he again called the sheriff's office and he was eventually met by two police officers. He reported to them that he had seen what appeared to be a skull near a gray bag. That time the officers conducted a brief search they said they didn't see anything. God damn. Ugh. I'm it, on December 11th, 2008. Kronk again calls the police in what Wait, I, he first saw it in August and now it's December. Oh, I think I meant I think I meant August. Let me look that up real quick. Oh, no, it's December. I was right. Yeah. So on December 11th, 2008, which is insane. We are acknowledging that. Yes. 
It has now been months and the cops have just been like, well, they've been crucifying her on TV. They've been allowing her to be crucified on television. That's what's been happening for months. It's fucked up. So on December 11th, Kronk again calls the police and what I'm sure was a moment of utter exasperation. Uh, they search again and they find the remains of a child in a trash bag. Investigative teams recovered duct tape that was hanging from hair attached to the skull and some tissue left on the skull. Over the next four days, more bones were found in the wooded area near the spot where the remains were initially discovered. On December 19th, 2008, medical examiner Jan Garavaglia confirmed that the remains found were those of Kaylee Anthony. So the death is ruled a homicide and the cause of death as listed as undetermined, which is primarily because the body was so decomposed they couldn't tell what happened to her to cause her death. So Casey is offered a limited immunity deal on July 29th, 2008, before they found the body, by the way. They're offering her limited immunity uh, by prosecutors related to, and I quote, the false statements given to law enforcement about locating her child, which was renewed again on August 25th to expire August 28th. So essentially, she's told by the police that if she leads them to Kaylee's body, they couldn't use anything she said to them against her in court. I'm going to be honest. This deal shocks the shit out of me because there's absolutely no fucking way they're going to let her off of what they believe is the first degree murder of a child. Totally. Really, if she proves that she had knowledge of it by leading them to the body. So in retrospect, I think they felt they had so much evidence and so much public ill will against her that they were guaranteed a conviction no matter what. But it didn't matter because she refused to take the deal, which was surprising to many people. So on September 5th, 2008, she's released on bail for all pending charges after being fitted with an electronic tracking device. Her $500,000 bond was posted by her parents, Cindy and George Anthony, who signed a promissory note. Okay. So October 14th, 2008, Roy Kronk is already reported, but they haven't found the body yet. She is indicted by a grand jury on charges of first degree murder aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child, and four accounts of providing false information to police. She is arrested, ordered held without bond. On October 21st, 2008, the charges of child neglect were dropped against Casey. On October 28th, she's arraigned and she pled not guilty to all charges. On April 13th, 2009, prosecutors announced they plan to seek the death penalty in the Anthony case. This is because my guess is they have now found a body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the trial begins on May 14th, 2011 at the Orange County Courthouse with Judge Belvin Perry presiding. So in the opening statements, lead prosecutor Linda Drain Burdick described the story of the disappearance of Kaylee Anthony day by day, alleging that the death was a premeditated murder and deserving of the death penalty. Prosecutors stated the evidence would reveal Anthony used chloroform to render her daughter unconscious before putting, putting duct tape over her mouth and nose to suffocate her and then left her body in the trunk of her car for a few days before disposing of it. They characterized Anthony as a party girl who killed her daughter to free herself from parental responsibility. This is, this is a lot. This is one hell of a story because what they're saying is she got chloroform. She chloroformed her to knock her out which feels unnecessary. You could have used Benadryl. I'm a parent. I know that. Right. But they, she used chloroform to knock her out. Then she duct tape her mouth and her nose so that she would suffocate and die. And then she left her body in the trunk of a car that I'm fairly certain is a family car, which feels like kind of a risk, but okay. All right. So that's the prosecution story. 
from the outset, it just, it feels like, like maybe you could have spent a couple extra weeks looking into this. <laughs> also, why did they bring in the car at all? Because we're going to talk about it. There's a lot of interesting quote unquote science that goes into this, but okay. they really clung to that. The trunk smells like a dead body thing. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was trash. It so was why... trash. Like, yeah, I know. Okay. So the defense led by Jose Baez claimed in opening statements that Kaylee drowned accidentally in the family's pool on June 16th, 2008, and was found by George Anthony, who told Casey she would spend the rest of her life in jail for child neglect and then proceeded to cover up Kaylee's death. So when Jose Baez gets in court and says that, that's the first time that Casey has come out and said that that's what happened. So up till then, we have absolutely no idea what Casey's defense is going to be. And now we know it's that Kaylee died accidentally. Her dad knew about it and covered it up. Okay. So Baez argued that this is why Casey Anthony went on with her life and failed to report the incident for 31 days. He alleged that it was habitual for Casey to hide her pain and pretend nothing is wrong because she had been sexually abused by George Anthony between the ages of 8 and 12 and her brother Lee between the ages of 12 and 15. Hmm. Baez also questioned whether Roy Cronk, the meter reader who found the bones, had actually removed them from another location, which, given what he was saying, was kind of a weird allegation to make. But I guess you're throwing everything against a wall to see what sticks. And he further alleged that the police department's investigation was compromised by their desire to feed a media frenzy about a child murder, murder rather than a more mundane drowning, which is what he's alleging that it is. Hmm. He did admit that Casey had lied about there being a nanny named Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez and attributed that lie, as well as others, to an intrinsic, intrinsic trauma response caused by years of abuse from her family in general and her father in particular. Now, in 2023, we would all go, OK, <laughs> years of abuse, trauma response. These are all phrases we're more familiar with now. In 2011, not so much. Right. Not so much. OK. This is a pretty astounding defense for 2011 because Casey had said literally nothing since she was arrested. So other than entering a not guilty verdict, there is no indication about the kind of bombshell that was going to be presented during the opening statements. 400 pieces of evidence were presented by the prosecution. A strand of hair was recovered from the trunk of Casey's car, which was microscopically similar to hair taken from Kaylee's hairbrush, which as a parent, doesn't surprise me too much since Casey was her mother. Totally. And you could make a voodoo doll out of my kid's hair that's shed all over every single bit of my fucking car. So, okay. Um, but things got a little dicey, though, when that strand showed root banding, root banding, in which hair roots form a dark band after death, which was consistent with hair from a dead body. I don't know how real that, that is. I looked that up. It's kind of iffy. Um, mm. But anyway, that's what they're saying. It's not just hair. It's hair from a dead body. Hmm. But that said, we have to remember Casey's story is that Kaylee died and that her dad took her somewhere. So, so again, again, uh, the, you know, the hair from a dead body being the back car while disgusting and awful to think about, there is a possible reason for it being there that isn't that Casey murdered her. Right. So Roy Cronk, the meter reader who discovered Kaylee's remains, repeated the same basic story that he had told the police on Friday, October 24th, 2008. A forensic report by Arpod Voss of the Oak Ridge National Laboratory judged that the results from an air sampling procedure performed in the trunk of Casey Anthony's car showed chemical compounds, quote, 
consistent with a decompositional event based on the presence of five key chemical compounds out of over 400 possible chemical compounds that Vass's research group considered typical of decomposition. Investigators stated that the trunk smelled strongly of human decomposition, but human decomposition is not specified on a laboratory scale. The process had not been affirmed by the Daubert test in the courts, and for those who don't know, the Daubert test is the standard used by a trial judge to assess whether an expert's witness testimony is based on scientifically valid reasoning, which can properly be applied to the facts at hand. Voss's group also stated that there was chloroform in the car trunk. But in other words, what they're saying here is, okay, so this is a bunch of science. So what they're saying is that they ran some tests that showed that there is a possibility that a decompositional event happened in the back of Casey Anthony's car. But we know like banana peels were decomposing back there. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, they're talking about human decomposition. I'm fairly okay, certain. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're not talking about banana peels, human decomposition. However, there are holes in this theory because hu human decomposition, there's no like specific laboratory scale. Like here's what you're going to find in a human decomposition event. There's not like a list. There are some things you will find in human decomposition that you will find in animal, animal decomposition that you will find in vegetable matter decomposition. You know, it, there's no set like if you find these things, that means it was a person. I see. So it could have been a banana peel. Um, what they're trying to say is there's enough of them there that we know it's a person, but that hasn't a scale hasn't been established. I think they're trying basically to establish a scale, but it hasn't been done yet. Oh, well, it's, it's a lot of really tricky science. Also, going back to what you said before, yeah, if he put her in the trunk of the car, then that would, ex yeah. So what a thing that I'm going to tell you over and over again, after we go over the evidence is like, they're going to make, they're going to prove, they're going to be trying to prove a lot of shit that Casey's version of events can, will basically say, yeah, that could have happened. Right. So, which feels interesting to me, and I'm going to go over it a lot. So in October 2009, officials released 700 pages of documents related to the Anthony investigation, including records of Google searches that include the term neck breaking and how to make chloroform on a computer accessible to Casey, presented by the prosecutors as evidence of a premeditated crime. Wait, do we know whose computer it was? It's a family computer. So it could have been him. Could have been anybody. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Additionally, according to detectives, crime scene evidence included residue of a heart-shaped sticker found on duct tape over the part of Kaylee's skull, uh, showing that her where her mouth would have been, essentially, which is upsetting to think about. But, you know, there we are. Um, however, the laboratory was not able to capture a heart-shaped heart photographically after some duct tape was subjected to dye testing, which sounds like a lot because it is. Um, all the stops are being pulled out for this case. A blanket found at the crime scene matched Kaylee's bedding at her grandparents' home, which really isn't indicative of much because, again, Casey herself admitted that Kaylee died at home. So what they're saying is that there's a, there's like not an actual sticker, but you know how like if you um, if you have a sticker on something and a little bit of the tape is still there and like little bits of fluff or shit will like stick to it. Well, like pill around the shape of where it was, and then you pull it off and it will oh. show you what the shape looked like. Okay. They're uh -huh. saying that that's there. On her mouth? On the tape that was around her mouth. Yeah. So the tape was on there first and then the sticker and was And the on sticker top was placed on top of it. And it's uh, like fluff and dirt and basic, you know, soil or whatever stuck to it and show that there was the shape of a heart. That's what they're saying. Ugh. 
Uh, why is this important? We're going to get to that. So among photos entered into evidence was one from the computer of Ricardo Morales, Casey's ex-boyfriend, showing a man leaning over a woman with a rag with the caption, win her over with chloroform. Classy, charming, Prince Charming. Don't don't date that man. Don't date that dude. I guess this is supposed to imply that Casey had access to the thought process of chloroform as an agent of intoxication. Um, but I, you know, I kind of feel like anyone who ever read a mystery book or watched an episode of Dateline knows that chloroform can render a human unconscious. I'm not sure that that's just not theatrics and overkill. Uh, but theatrics and overkill is kind of what this came this case became all about. So um but while it was theatrics and overkill it's it's not just theatrics and overkill there's also some junk science uh, tossed in for effect so prosecution witness john dennis bradley he developed this software for computer investigations and he, the prosecution used it to indicate that casey had conducted extensive computer research on the word chloroform 84 times so he creates a program and the police use this program and it shows that According to their to this program, the way that they applied it to her computer analytics, she researched chloroform 84 times between March 17th and March 21st, 2008. And the suggestion here is that she planned to commit the murder, that it's showing the plan to commit the murder. That's a lot of that's a lot of Googling. I'm sorry. If you don't have it after the fucking 10th time, <laughs> you're dumb and you need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing. Um. Okay, so Bradley expresses belief that, quote, some of the items might have been bookmarked. So this is his original statement, which is, by the way, happening in early 2008, uh, early in the investigation in 2008. And, it's, and, and he says some of these items might have been bookmarked, which is weird to me because either they were or they weren't. I don't see how it's a maybe, um, you know, and, and if it is, maybe your computer program's not quite as good as you think it is. And that's actually going to come back to haunt him in a little bit. It would be unbearably stupid also for anyone planning a murder to bookmark their Google search for the method by which they <laughs> plan to commit said murder. <laughs> So that's a thought that bears some consideration. Wow. They really have no respect for her in this case. They're just like, to be fair, she did some really stupid shit. But like, can you imagine like hmm, chloroform for murder? Just going to just going <laughs> to save that search <laughs> like, on the computer at home. Everyone uses. OK, I'm off to go swimming. You know, I mean, like, I don't even it. it I just it's a lot. So wow. Under cross-examination by the defense, Bradley agreed that there were two individual accounts on the desktop and that there was no way to know, per your point, who actually performed these searches, which is to say there are a total of three adults who lived in that house, Casey, her mom, and her dad, and it was common knowledge that another, Casey's brother Lee, was in and out of the house pretty regularly and had access. But here's the kicker, and we're going to talk about this more later, too. Bradley later discovered that a flaw in the software misread the forensic data and that the word chloroform had been searched for only one time, and the website in question offered information on the use of chloroform in the 19th century. Well, that's a, not the same thing at all. Different from what they originally said. And I have a lot of questions about why anyone just accepted that any human would Google chloroform 84 times. <laughs> but okay. So we're going to come back to that point. Uh, but more evidence. So police dog handler Jason Forgey or Forgey, F-O-R-G-E-Y, testified that Jarrus or Garrus, Jarrus, I like Jarrus, a German shepherd cadaver dog certified in 2005 indicated a high alert of human decomposition in the trunk of Casey's car. 
Uh, so Jason mentioned that the maintained that the police dog had real world searches numbering over 3000 by the time of the trial. Now, the over 3000 is a quote. And I think that's important because if it's true and assuming that over 3000 is simply 3001, that means that that dog looked for a dead body every single day for more than eight years, which I think is pretty amazing. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of searches. Sir, uh, do you know how math works? <laughs> basic basic math. Can you do it? But it gets better because during cross-examination, Baez argued that the dog's search records were hearsay, which I find mildly hilarious for no other reason than we are talking about a dog. So, Lord. yeah. Sergeant Kristen Brewer also testified that her dog Bones, which is an A-plus name for a police dog, A-plus, signaled decomposition in the backyard search in July of 2008. However, neither police dog were, was able to detect decomposition during a second visit to the Anthony home. And Brewer explained that this is because whatever had been in the yard was either moved or the odor dissipated. Again, I failed to understand why this is inflammatory, as the person officially accused of killing Kaylee was very clear about the fact that her body was at home in the backyard at one point and that her remains had been moved, likely in a car. So I'm not sure what this testimony was proving that clashed with Casey's version of events. They went to a lot of trouble to prove that Casey could have been telling the truth is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so the prosecu the prosecution called Chief Medical Examiner Jen Garavaglia, who testified that she determined Kaylee's manner of death to be homicide, but listed it as death by undetermined means. Why? I don't know. It's a fair question. So Garavaglia took into account the physical evidence presented on the remains she examined, as well as the available available information on the way those remains were found and what she had been told by the authorities before arriving at her determination. So this gets dicey. So this is a delicate way of saying that she relied on the beliefs of the police officers to make her decision, as opposed to just the remains she had in front of her. So she was basically being swayed. She was biased. Well, it's part of her job. It's not illegal. She's straight admitting it. I'm not sure if I love the premise. Um, I like the idea of of them dealing with just the physical evidence supporting their conclusions. But it's it's kind of part of her job to do that. But then she says some things I think are pretty significant. She says, we know by our observations that it's a red flag when a child has not been reported to authorities with injury, that that means there's foul play. And she continued, there is no child that should have duct tape on its face when it dies. Fair point. But then she goes on. When pressed by bias as to whether or not this death could have been accidental, she said, and I quote, accidental deaths are reported 100% of the time unless there's a reason not to. That's a big old yikes to me, because what she's essentially saying is accidental deaths are always reported unless someone is actually guilty of murder. And I'm not sure she's right. No, that can't be true, because of course it's not true. Yeah, that's just wrong. There are a lot of reasons that people might not report an accidental death, particularly if it might look like negligence or murder. Exactly. But that what she, what I what she's saying that is giving way to her frame of mind, which is this child died. Her death was not reported. That means it has to be a murder. Right. So there's intrinsic bias in that. Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. Well, here's the question I have, because I know that that more stuff is about to be revealed. But let's but let's stick with the um, drowning. Mm -hmm. Why would they duct tape her mouth if she had drowned? So, first of all, Casey is saying that after she saw Kaylee's dead body from drowning she has no idea what happened to her after that so casey can't answer that question for you she will later say 
and I'll bring this up a little bit later in here, that when they had pets that died, her father used to tape them up and put them in a plastic bag and tape it up and bury them. And that was just his method. Okay. Got it. So, okay. I think that her admitting that her, that Jen Garavaglia, that her decision, her belief about how all accidents are always reported, that that factored into her, into her decision. And I think that's a, that's a big fat red flag. Yeah. Additionally, Garavaglia addressed the chloroform evidence found by investigators inside the trunk of Casey's car, testifying that even a small amount of chloroform would be sufficient to cause the death of a child, which is probably true. And if they'd ever been able to put chloroform in Casey's hands, that might have meant something, but they couldn't. And here's something kind of funny. The prosecution actually tried to prove that Casey could have made her own chloroform by having a layperson, i.e. not a scientist, distill a batch. And instead, they proved that, in fact, chloroform is really hard to make. And much more likely to blow up in your face should you try. Is that what happened? Yes, that is in fact what happened. So <laughs> some asshole out there. So they could not ever prove that Casey had chloroform. So I don't know why they were pushing so hard on the chloroform. Um, her mom was a nurse. I guess they're saying maybe she could have got her hands on some that way. But they were never able really to show that Casey had access to chloroform and consequently would have been able to use it to render her daughter unconscious. University of Florida professor and human identification laboratory director Michael Warren was brought on by the prosecution to present a computer animation of the way the duct tape found on Kaylee Anthony's remains could have been used in the death of the child, to which the defense objected, because essentially it was this animation that featured a picture of Kaylee taken alongside Casey superimposed with an image of Kaylee's decomposed skull and another with a strip of duct tape that was recovered with her remains. So the images are slowly brought together, showing that the duct tape could have covered her nose and mouth, which, you know, is kind of inflammatory and upsetting. Wait, the animation showed that Casey was like doing it? No, they just showed this beautiful live little girl and then they showed her dead rotting skull and then they showed the tape being in superimposed over her mouth <sighs> to give you a visual of what that would have looked like. Oh, why? And I think it's, yeah, to upset the jury yeah. because that's a terrible thing. Um, the other thing about this is that you have to remember when they found the remains, she was super decomposed. So they don't really know where that tape was. And they are assuming uh, they they are, I don't know, I, I, they are they are suggesting that it was over her mouth and nose. And they think that based on the placement of where it was found, that it could have been. But they don't know for sure. This is the theory they are positing. Got it. It wasn't like they found a body with tape over the mouth and nose. Okay. So, Okay. Uh, Baez stated, this disgusting superimposition is nothing more than a fantasy. They're throwing things against the wall to see if it sticks. Well, Baez was doing the same thing. But yes, I get what he's saying. That's it's pretty inflammatory. Warren testified that it is his opinion that the duct tape found with Kaylee's skull was placed there before her body began decomposing. Why did he think that? Because that's why. Um, okay, so FBI latent print examiner Elizabeth Fontaine testified that adhesive in the shape of a heart was found remember we talked yes. about this uh on the on a piece of duct tape that was covering the mouth portion of kaylee's remains during ultraviolet testing fontaine examined three pieces of duct tape found on kaylee's remains for fingerprints and she did not find fingerprints but she did not expect to given the months 
uh, the tape and the remains had been outdoors and exposed to the elements, stressing that any oil or sweat from a person's fingerprints would have long since deteriorated. Thank you to the fucking cops. Mm. So although Fontaine showed the findings to her supervisor, she did not initially try to photograph the heart-shaped adhesive, explaining, when I observe something unexpected, I note it and continue with my examination. Probably not the best policy. I'd maybe take a picture. So during the defense's cross-examination, Fontaine stated that when she examined the sticker evidence a second time after subjecting the tape to dye testing, it was no longer visible. She said that other FBI agents had tested the duct tape in the interim. The defense called two government witnesses who countered prosecution witness testimony about the duct tape. The chief investigator for the medical examiner stated the original placement of the duct tape was unclear and could have shifted positions as he collected the remains. There's also that. Yeah. Then Cindy Anthony testified that their family buried pets in blankets and plastic bags using duct tape to seal the opening. Mm. Ring, 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 ring. Yep. Um, and uh, we've talked about this, but in the recent documentary, she went further, Casey went further and stated that it was her father who buried the family pets and did so in exactly in that way. Mentioned before, I'm going to mention it again because it's going to come up later. Maybe not today, but next time we do this. So additionally, an FBI forensic document examiner found no evidence of a sticker or sticker residue on the duct tape found near the child's remains. Why so much fucking time devoted to the sticker thing? This is an excellent question again. And again, the answer is going to be a little unsatisfying. The prosecution was determined to show that there had been at some point a heart-shaped sticker on Kaylee's remains because there were heart-shaped stickers at Kaylee and Casey's home. And the prosecution believed that this is overwhelming evidence that Casey killed her daughter with duct tape after drugging her with chloroform. Yeah, I'm going to say this again. Casey's defense was not that Kaylee had not died at home, only that she had not killed her. So why they're spending all the time and money in the world to try and convince the jury that Kaylee's death happened in the home when that seems pretty well established doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, More to the point, if I'm understanding them correctly, they're saying that Casey drugged and disabled her daughter and then put a sticker on her, which I am truly befuddled by. And also, if it's a matter of heart-shaped stickers in the home, I have had a three-year-old daughter two, three. I have a five-year-old son. There are heart-shaped stickers every fucking place in my house. I cannot escape them. Yeah. Heart-shaped stickers everywhere. I don't know why they think that that would prove anything or that Casey and Kaylee Anthony had a moratorium on heart-shaped stickers. They did not. They're everywhere. Totally. It just seems like a lot of like trying very hard to prove things that don't mean anything. Well, they are trying to very hard to prove things and they want you to believe that they mean what they say they mean. The problem is, I and I honestly, in a sense, I kind of feel for them. They didn't know what Casey's defense was going to be. And Casey's defense undermined them because she's like, yeah, you're right. Right. <laughs> she's like, yes, everything you're saying is correct. It's just that I didn't do it. Right. And the truth is that this, if she didn't have the alleged trauma that she has and she had just said, yeah, my my daughter drowned and then my dad did something with it. And I have been dealing with this in the most unhealthy way possible because I don't know any other way of dealing with things. Then most likely this would not have been the case that it turned into. Right. But that's not what happened. So the defense called forensic pathologist Dr. Werner Spitz, who performed a second autopsy on Kaylee after Dr. Garavaglia, and he challenged Garavaglia's autopsy report. He called her autopsy shoddy. Uh, I'm sure she loved that, saying it was a failure that Kaylee's skull was not open during her examination, insisting, quote, you need to examine the whole body in an autopsy. I'm going to say that makes sense to me. That checks out. 
Spitt stated that he was not allowed to attend Garavaglia's initial autopsy on Kaylee's remains and that from his own follow-up autopsy, he was not comfortable ruling the child's death a homicide. He said he could not determine what Kaylee's manner of death was, just like Garavaglia. They don't know how she died. But he said there was no indication to him that she was murdered. Additionally, Spitz testified he believed that the duct tape found on Kaylee's skull was placed there after the body decomposed, suggesting that if tape had been placed on the skin, there should have been DNA left on it, and further suggested that someone might have staged some of the crime scene photos. Yikes. Ooh. So that, that went over about as well as you might expect, but he did not back down. The person who took this picture, the person who prepared this, put her hair there, stated Spitz. So he's basically saying all of this was done by a person. Wait, all of what was done by a person? Like the way, like the photos, like the way the tape was, he was like that. He was like, there's absolutely no evidence that that's the way it was organically, that that's how it happened when she was placed there by whoever placed her there. That looks to me like someone who found her put it there. Like the cops? Like the cops. Okay. Uh, So when asked by Ashton during cross-examination, so your testimony is the medical examiner's personnel took the hair that wasn't on the skull, placed it there. Spitz answered, it wouldn't be the first time, sir. I can tell you some horror stories about that. Ooh, basically he threw Yikes. the cops right on under the bus. Well, that isn't even the cops. That is the medical examiner. He's saying the medical examiner like put, you know, hair, but like, he's like, everything that you're saying is evidence of a murder proves a murder. I can tell you that we, ha- I have seen people like make suggestive things so that it looks more like that. Oof. And remember, Garavaglia got up there and said, I didn't make my decision based purely on what the bone said. I made my decision based on the totality of the circumstantial evidence, including what the cops had told Ooh, me. Ooh, so he's throwing Joan under the bus. He's like, take that Joan. Jan, her name's Jan. But yes. <laughs> Jan. But to be like, but let's be very clear because I don't want to, it's part of her job to take what the police tells her under consideration, but she has to take it under consideration. And then she has to look at what the evidence is in front of her. There's no fucking evidence that this is a murder, right? There just isn't. I have looked high and low. She definitely died, but they don't know how she died. So if they don't know how she died, how do you know it was a murder? Right. Honestly, there's no broken hyoid bone that would like indicate that she was strangled. They don't have any petechiae or anything like they don't have any flesh. It's petechi- what the heck is petechiae? I know what this is because when I gave birth, I pushed so hard that I broke blood vessels under my eyes. That was hot. Yikes. But when you are being smothered and you're struggling to breathe, you will often break blood vessels under your eyes. And that is called petechiae. Um, there's... Lots of evidence that can be found on a on a on a person's remains that can indicate if a person died in a way that wasn't natural, but they didn't have that much to work with. And what they did have did not show murder. So while they could definitely show that the death wasn't natural, I mean, well, actually, they can't even show that. Who knows? But she was she was very young. So odds are she didn't have a heart attack and fall over and die. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But they don't have any concrete evidence that she was chloroformed. They don't have any concrete evidence that she was suffocated. There isn't enough there. And so they're saying, well, the tape placement shows that it was over her nose and mouth. And this guy steps in and says, yeah, it kind of looks like someone put it there. And by the way, sometimes we do that. Damn. Okay. Oh, yikes. Okay. So on June 23rd, Baez called Cindy Anthony to the stand and she told jurors that she had been the one who performed the chloroform search on the family computer in March of 2008. Oh, snap. 
Yep. The prosecution alleges that only Casey could have conducted this search and others because she was the only one home at the time as the cards, like the time cards, show that Cindy Anthony was at her job as a nurse during this time period. When asked by prosecutors how she could have made the Internet search when the employment records show she was at work, Cindy Anthony said that despite what her work timesheet indicates, she was at home during these time periods because she left from work early during the days in question. I'm sure her boss loved hearing that. She's like, we love getting paid. We don't love being at work. Okay, what can I say? So meanwhile, as we discussed a little bit earlier on June 21st, prosecution witness uh, John Dennis Bradley, remember that guy with the the guy who created the computer program that supposedly showed that that shit had been searched out 84 times? He discovered a flaw in his software uh, that misread the forensic data and that the word chloroform had been searched for only one time. We've been over this. And the website in question offered information on the use of chloroform in the 19th century. Okay. So Bradley alerted prosecutor Linda Burdick and Sergeant Kevin Stanger of the sheriff's office the weekend of June 25th about the discrepancy in his software and volunteered to fly to Orlando at his own expense to show them which I'm sure was the highlight of their fucking day. So that same day, the judge temporarily halted proceedings when the defense filed a motion to determine if Casey Anthony was competent to proceed with trial. The motion states that the defense received a privileged communication from their client, which caused them to believe that Miss Anthony, quote, is not competent to aid and assist in her own defense. If I had to guess, I would say that Casey Anthony was probably in the midst of a full-fledged psychotic break since her daughter was dead. She's on trial for that murder and every secret that she's been trying to keep since she was a child is suddenly on full display for all the world to see and literally for the purpose of judgment. So I'm not sure I'd be feeling super competent either. Oh my God. So many fever blisters if it were me. Jesus. I'd just be so itchy. But uh, what I'm saying is also there's a break in that time period and he could have they could have taken him up on this offer. There's literally, they got a couple days. No. Oh, so they were like, don't don't bother coming out here? I'm going to tell you about it. So the trial resumes on June 27th when the judge announces that the results of the psychological evaluation show that Anthony was competent to proceed. Good on you, girl. I would not be. So back to the Bradley issue. The prosecution stated that they discussed Bradley's software discrepancy with Baez on June 27th, and he raised the issue in court. Baez also asked Judge Perry to instruct the jury about this faulty search information. But the prosecution objected to that, which was a ballsy fucking move considering the circumstances. And let's be clear about what those circumstances are. So the dude creates a computer program check to look at the analytics of people's search histories. And the police use that program to show that someone in the Anthony house had searched the word chloroform 84 times. They submitted that shiz as evidence. The creator of the program thought that sounded a little sus. So he double checked his work discovered that the prosecution was in fact wrong, that his computer program had made a mistake. He calls to tell them that, offers to fly down and testify to such at his own expense and to to testify that the mistake had been made and that he had owned up to it. And it wasn't even the police's fault that the mistake had been made, that it had been his. And the prosecution essentially said, nah. And here's a direct quote from Mr. Bradley. I gave the police everything they needed to present a new report. I did the work myself and copied out the entire database in a spreadsheet to make sure there was no issue of accessibility to the data. And despite what the police and prosecution knew to be a massive fuck up, they did jack shit to fix that issue. Wait, wait, he said that? No. Okay, that's you. (laughs) Okay. 
But that is what happened. Right. So the prosecution did tell Jose Baez that a mistake had been made because they had to or they would be in real fucking trouble. You can't do that. But that was essentially as far as they would go to correct the very real mistake. And so it was never officially corrected in court records. Well, why didn't Baez do anything? Remember, he did. He was like, hey, I would like to submit that this is like that these mistakes have been made. The prosecution objected and the judge sustained the objection and it never. Why did the judge sustain? I don't know. Wait, sorry. Did you say that before? And I just like, yes, I did say that before. (laughs) Okay. Sometimes I get confused about what's happening. I don't blame you. We could go over this story 10 times and you will still only get half of it because every time I turn around, I'm saying something that either makes absolutely no sense to me. I'm like, what are we talking? Are you kidding? This can't be real. Or I'm saying something that's like, yeah, of course you're going to find hair in the back of a car. Right. Do you not have kids? Do you know how kids stickers? We're talking about stickers. Yeah. Which is why when she gets found not guilty, it was like, it was worse than OJ in, in the sense that like, no, like nobody fucking believed it. I didn't believe it when Casey Anthony was found out guilty. I'm like, how the fuck is that possible? And it turns out that's possible because we were all watching Nancy Grace rundowns, which was like, look at this whore with a tattoo dancing. You know, I mean, that was essentially what the television program was. But when you got down to the evidence of it, there wasn't any. There wasn't any. Yeah. But that one, that story with the computer program, it's a fun story that should give you exactly some idea of how wildly fucked this court case ended up being. So on June 27th, the defense calls two private investigators who had searched the area in November 2008, where the body was eventually found. The search was videotaped, but nothing was found. Okay, so that's June 27th, 2008. The area where Casey's body is found has been searched. They didn't find anything. On June 28th, the defense called a Texas EquiSearch team leader who had done two searches of the area, the same area, and found no body. The defense then called Roy Cronk, the utility worker who had found Kaylee's remains. So he recounted the same basic story he told police. Remember, he's already done for what the police, the police already called him, and he basically told them, you know, this is what happened. He told police about his discovery of Kaylee Anthony's remains in December of 2008 and acknowledged receiving $5,000 after the remains were identified, but denied that he told his son that finding a body would make him rich and famous. The next day, his son testified that he had, in fact, made those statements. Wait, I'm confused. What? I'm sorry. So, okay. So the the prosecution calls Roy Cronk to establish that he found the body. The defense calls them back and says, hey, so you found this body. You got paid, right? And he's like, yeah, I got paid. And they were like, and he's already... Jose Baez has already called two other witnesses and those witnesses had said that they had done extensive searches of the exact same area where the body had been found months before and had not found the body. So what's the implication then that he, that she was somewhere else and that he murdered her and that he, then he brought her like, why don't, I don't get it. Jose Baez again is his job is to raise doubt. Remember that Jose Baez's job is to raise doubt that Casey Anthony is guilty of the crime for which she is being accused. So in short, yes, Baez goes on the, he kind of is insinuating like something's not right here. So he goes on the media circuit and he insinuates that Kronk is a possible suspect in the Anthony murder. I don't think Baez believed that, but he does go out there and say, hey, something's a little weird here. And that at the very least, he had placed the body in the woody area where the remains were found as a way to get a little hero worship for himself and to make a little money in the process. The defense admitted that they had no solid evidence proving this theory, but they pointed out that, quote, there is as much circumstantial evidence implicating Roy Kronk as there is implicating our client. He's the only one who's been with the body. He's the only one who magically discovers her. So his point was like, hey, Roy Kronk 
there is as much evidence implicating Roy Cronk as there is implicating Casey Anthony. Casey Anthony didn't get five grand and a whole bunch of hero worship out of this, but Roy Cronk did. Wow, that's a smart tactic. Uh, Jose Baez is pretty smart. I don't remember who it was. He represented someone. I need a Steven. Um, he represented someone else fairly recently that he got off. Let me see if I can find who that is. That we were all like, oh, it's Jose Baez. He he represented. Um, this is why you've heard of him before. He represented Aaron Hernandez. Oh, interesting. Okay, we covered that case. Yeah, we did. He also briefly represented Weinstein, uh, but he got out of that. Um, yeah. He said it was because he didn't like the direction that the other lawyers were taking the case, which I think means he knew that guy was guilty as fucking sin and was like, okay, well, if we're not going to plead guilty in some way, then like, you're going to jail for a really long time, which is what happened. Okay. So, all right. So then in later testimony about air samples, Dr. Ken Furton, professor of chemistry at Florida International University, stated there is no consensus in the field on what chemicals are typical of human decomposition. And so there was no way to test the air in Casey Anthony's trunk for the possibility of a dead body. In a truly surreal moment, Judge Perry ruled that the jury would not get to smell air samples taken from the trunk. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how that would work. Like they just like put a plastic baggie in there and like scoop out a smell and then like open it up. I don't, I don't know. But like I said, it, it very surreal. And then shit gets real and you're going to love this. So on June 30th, the defense calls a woman named Crystal Holloway, a volunteer in the search for Kaylee, who stated that she'd had an affair with George Anthony and that he had been to her home and that he had texted her just thinking about you. I need you in my life. She told the defense that George Anthony had told her that Kaylee's death was, quote, an accident that snowballed out of control. Oh, under cross-examination by prosecutors, they pointed to her sw sworn police statement in which she had said that George Anthony believed it was an accident rather than knowing it was. In her initial report, Holloway reported George Anthony saying, I really believe that it was an accident that just went wrong and Casey Anthony tried to cover it up. Basically, not Casey Anthony, my daughter, but I'm putting the name in. Right. She said he had not told her he was present when the alleged incident occurred. During redirect, Baez asked Holloway if George had told her that Kaylee was dead while stating publicly that she was missing, to which she replied, yes. Wait, wait, say that again. So in redirect, Baez comes up to her and she says, did George tell you that Kaylee was dead when he was publicly stating that she was missing? And Crystal Holloway said, yes, he did. Oh, oh, oh. Damn. In his earlier testimony, George Anthony had denied the affair with Holloway, and he said he visited her only because she was ill. Oh, okay. He said he sent the text message because he needed everyone who was helpful in his life. And I'm sure his wife totally bought that. I'm sorry, you don't visit sick women when you're a married man. This is not a thing. That's that's not a thing, especially if the only, I mean, like your sister, sure. A good friend you've had a long time. Yeah. Some chick who's searching for your missing granddaughter and you're in the middle of this really painful upheaval in your life? No. no. After Holloway's testimony, Judge Perry told jurors that it could be used to impeach George Anthony's credibility, but it was not proof of how Kaylee died, nor evidence of Casey Anthony's guilt or innocence. The prosecution rested its case on June 15th after calling 59 witnesses for 70 different testimonies. The defense rested its case on June 30th after calling 47 witnesses for 63 different testimonies. Casey Anthony did not testify. And we're going to end there. 
Damn, it is so, this is a wild fucking case. This shit is wild. And I mean, I, I, I followed this case when it happened. And I remember initially when it happened being like, God, what a horrible human being. Because what they were continually showing were pictures of her going out dancing. And she did make the very regrettable mistake of getting a tattoo that said La Bella Vita, which means a beautiful life in italian after when casey when kaylee was missing yeah not not good not a good look and i'm going to talk more about that in the second half of this but this shit is wild yeah like going through it i just think that they the prosecution went to a lot of effort to prove kaylee and casey anthony's version of events (laughs) right like i don't know and i and i kind of feel for them because they didn't know what she was going to present as her defense so they didn't realize that's what they were doing but that's what they ended up doing and then they also just did some weird shit like the the computer program thing that was shady as fuck but the The whole like but that didn't factor into the jury's decision eventually right because they never learned that that was a fuck up well i don't know what they learned for sure i know that it was never officially corrected on the record like the defense never the prosecution never got up and said hey our bad this was wrong information. I am I know that Jose Baez, at least in his clothing statement, if he has half a brain and he does, said this is what happened. But the prosecution never admitted to it, never corrected it on the record. They told Jose Baez that's all they had to do. Okay. Well, the other thing, though, is if Casey Anthony... No, 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 no. Wait, what's the mom's name? Cindy. Cindy. So if Cindy originally, it sounds like originally Cindy was sort of like, yo, cops, something is amiss with my daughter and my granddaughter kind of not feeling my daughter in this for sure. Why would she then get up on the stand and be like, hey, it was me who did that search for that one single search for chloroform if in fact. So there I've uh, there's a few different. It's an excellent question. And there's a few different answers here, and they're all theoretical. One is that it was her. That's what I'm saying is that I think it was her. It could have been her. Uh, It could have been her protecting her daughter. It could have been her protecting her husband. There's a bunch of different reasons that she could have said that. My point is she didn't start out protecting her daughter. So why would she then suddenly flip? Because I think when this started... Cindy Anthony literally had no idea what was going on and thought there was a possibility Kaylee was alive. I think my personal feeling based on nothing, absolutely nothing, alleged, no stake in reality. I think that after everything came out and particularly after the body, the remains were found, I think she knew exactly what happened. She knew that. Yeah. And I think at that point she was just trying to salvage as much as she could. You mean that George was behind it. But see, we still don't know for sure that that's what happened. That's what we think happened. That's true. Yeah. So I, I, I think at this point, it's, you know, this many years on, I think it's pretty clear that her, I mean, the cops will not admit this, you know, in the, if you go watch and it's actually, I was like, I didn't want to watch it because I've seen so much Casey Anthony shit. And I was just like, God, like, okay, it's going to, you know, uh, this is just going to be everything I've read before. This is a super upsetting case. But I watched it and I was actually pretty riveted. One, because Casey Anthony is open in a way that you haven't seen her be open before. And, um, you know, as a woman, as a mother, as someone who has been traumatized, watching her is a really interesting experience. Mm. 
and I'm not, it can be very triggering for people. So I'm not saying you go out and do it, particularly if you have any experience in this field, if you have, you know, essay, if you have, if you have any kind of resonation with, with sexual assault or with um, domestic abuse or with child abuse, any of that, it, it could be very triggering. But so much of what Casey Anthony was displaying between 2008 and 2011 um, made her look really bad, not to put too fine a point on it. It looked really terrible. And because we didn't have a national conversation going on about mental health and about abuse and about trauma, there really wasn't an angle from which to view that that made it look like anything other than this woman being a bitch. Right. But now we have a lot more perspective on that. And she's older too. She's, you know, she was like 20. She had Kaylee at 19, 20, I want to say. She was like 22, 23 when this was happening. Yeah. You know, I mean, this was her early to mid 20s. So now she's in her mid 30s and um, and you can still see the damage. Like it's not like it goes away or she's totally healed, but She's essentially lived a very low pro, very, you know, she no, she hasn't killed anybody, you know, like she hasn't tried to have more children. You know, she still carries her daughter's picture around with her everywhere. Her basically her defense team kind of became her family. She works for them now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like after this happened, her I will say her defense team 100 percent came to bad for her. Like they believed her. Right. And they and not just about what happened with with Kaylee, they believed everything she had to say and really helped support her and get her life going. Because when this happened at the end of this, she had nothing like she just openly accused her father of sexual abuse um, and acknowledged that her mother probably knew about it, hadn't done anything. And that her father, she hadn't openly accused him of murder. She kind of does in the special or she suggests that it's a possibility. Cindy does. No, Casey does. She basically says, I, you know, like, this is what happened, but I think it's a possibility that my dad was trying to sexually assault her and he accidentally killed her doing it. Yeah. But I think for my money, I think that her body being Kaylee's body being found the way it was with a blanket wrapped in a plastic bag and duct tape and how that very much looked like how George Anthony handled very dogs. Mm -hmm. all of their family pets like people's habits die hard you know what i mean yeah yeah i think cindy anthony took one look at that and i think that she felt like she knew yeah and again this is my opinion totally this is just what i think but um well we'll we'll get to that this back up and i'm gonna tell you some we haven't even gotten to the super crazy shit yet oh my god what (laughs) oh my god (laughs) well yeah and i will I'll get into the astrology because it's not her dad's a Virgo, right? Uh, I can't remember his sun sign because most mostly I was concerned with what was going on with his chart on the day of that murder, uh, potential murder on the day of her disappearance, essentially. Yeah. Which I'm fairly certain was the day that she passed. Right. Me too. But that's what I was trying to find out because if the astrology on that day was just like kind of whatevs with his chart, you know, in the sinistry with his chart, then it would just kind of show that like, he just had a normal whatevs day, but, but no, but that was not the case. Yeah. So Katana's <laughs> puppet. Oh my God. Tell everyone about your puppet. So my daughter um, is very, very artistic. 
uh, and she did not get it from me. She got it from my husband. And she thinks that every holiday means gifts. She doesn't care. I will be getting something for St. Patrick's Day. I will be getting something for Labor Day. Doesn't matter. So for Valentine's Day, she's been in the basement in her art studio working on this, like these little things for weeks. She gave me a whole, it was, it's very cute. She gave me like, she made a heart that splits in the middle it says mom on one side and dad on the other and you put them together and it makes a whole heart which is pretty cute cute but on but on each half was like little gifts for mom and little gifts for dad and included in my set of gifts is a puppet she made of me it's a me puppet and it has its hair in a bun and it's wearing glasses because that is how i look 99.9 percent of the time but also it does not look human <laughs> well it's a I mean, it's a it's a hand puppet. Wait, show know? wait, show me the all the way. Yeah, what does this look like? Maybe it looks like a dog. I feel like you have to see it up close to appreciate it. I do appreciate it. I want to be clear. I appreciate it. It's fucking great. She made one for Michael too. But she comes upstairs this weekend. I think uh, the morning of um, Sunday. The the what's that stupid football game everybody watches? Oh, the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's the one. And she was like put your hand on this piece of paper and i'm like okay and then she was like but just the four fingers not the thumb and i'm like all right and then she traced around she's like okay thank you and ran off so you would be able to fit your hand in so your i'd puppet. be able to fit my hand in my puppet oh yeah. it's really cute yeah so i will be facetiming you from now on and just instead of me it'll just be this hand puppet <laughs> That's my plan from here on. I'm obsessed. We have to post a picture of it on the Insta. I will do that. All right. I'm going to go eat soup. Mm, Sounds delicious. Enjoy your cold. Oh, yeah. I love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.